We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience, as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. All right, babe, you ready? Yeah, let's let's go. go. Welcome back to Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valentins, you guys. This is your podcast stop when you're interested in anything relational health oriented. We love talking about everything from dating to marriage to parenting. We've got blended family topics that come up because of our own dynamics. This is just a passion area for us, and it has been so fun over the last number of months to get to know our audience a little bit. And one of the things we always ask is that if there are topics that you're interested in as listeners in in the uh, subject area of relational health that you would actually write us in. So we get quite a few um, questions, and we've done this once before, but we're going to do it again today. Today's episode is uh, a question and answer session based on questions you guys have written. So here we go. We're going to dive on in and um, hopefully this will be really meaningful to some of you, especially those of you that wrote these questions into us. Q&A is always the best. Yeah, we love Q&A. So we're going to go after it. We'll see how many we get through today. Um, Okay. The first question is, I really like this question a lot and it's specifically a question about dating. Um, One of our uh, lady listeners wrote in and said, what if you're single and interested as a woman, you're interested in a man who is not necessarily pursuing you and you don't want to come off as that girl who's like overeager about pursuing the guy. However, he's not making any moves. And so is it okay as the woman to actually initiate connection? What does it look like for the woman to initiate some sort of conversation about dating without turning into quote that girl? Do you want to go, you want to answer this question, babe? Yeah, I'll take a stab at it and you can, you can always add on to okay. it as well. For starters, I think that you have to not be afraid that you're going to be that girl uh, because <clears throat> you have to be willing to take a shot if you're going to, and you have to be willing to, you know, get turned down if you're going to eventually be with someone. That's always the risk that you take. And so I think far too many people hold back instead of make some type of entry point connection because of fear of getting rejected or fear of looking dumb or whatever. So for starters, you can't hit anything that you don't aim at. And so aim, aim and shoot. Um, How you start the conversation I think is important. And I always say like, there's, there's so many different types of scenarios. Like when I was 16, meeting a girl for to like telling a girl that I liked her could look so many different ways because I could go hang out in her friend group for a while and do some fun things together, go to the pool together and do all that stuff and build a friendship. And then off the back of that say, Hey, it's been really fun hanging out with you. I'd love to take you out. Super easy because we have overlapping friend groups and everybody when they're 16 has friend groups in high school at least. But so I'd say like, if you are in a friend-ish group with them, then do some stuff together intentionally with them. Um, and, and we've done that before, right? Like, I, I mean, when I was just hanging out with 
when I was single, I would hang out with my friend James, who was a roommate of mine, who had a friend group with other girls in it that I wanted to get to know. Like I wanted to get to know those girls. So I would go do fun stuff with them and hang out and as to create an entry point into their life. That's a, that's not an evil thing. That's just an intentional thing. And so I always think that that's best. Yeah. So if, if you're a woman and the friend groups don't overlap hugely, let's say that it's a mutual friend from church that you see every once in a while and you've, you bump into each other and have small conversation and you've built a small relationship. I think it's really appropriate to say, Hey, um, I've, I've known you for a little bit, whatever. I'm going to hang out with some friends at this party or, um, like a mutual friend thing, invite them along. Hey, would you like to come? It's going to be really fun. So that's like an easy entry point to it. If you don't have anything going like that, then I mean, at some point you just have to go like, Hey, um, I've been like, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, would you love to whatever, grab a bite to eat or, you know, I mean, some, just something small that you like to do. Like I have, I've got small hobbies that aren't like, would not be overwhelming to, um, go grab tea, yeah. go grab a tea and hang out and just have fun. Something just low barrier to entry where you're not like throwing it all the way out there. You're not a, a woman asking a man to go on a dinner date. Um, but I actually, I really don't have a problem with a woman saying, Hey, I'd love to grab coffee with you or Hey, um, you know, I, I'm going to go do this fun thing. Would you like to come? You're both adults, especially if you're like late twenties, you're both adults, you're living life. I don't think that you have to be super passive. Yeah. Um, but that's my own personal opinion. Maybe like a part B, um, secondary question to this question. Cause when I'm reading who wrote this question in, she said she described herself as a 30 something year old woman. Yeah. And she's in a situation where at work, there's a 30 something year old single guy and all the 30 something year old women are interested in the really attractive one 30 something guy, you know? And so how do you, how do you be the girl who all the other, all the other girls are interested in the same guy and there's one of them and a few of you, how do you not be the girl that becomes the because the question was coming on the heels of an episode that we recorded where you described babe as being a 30 something, well, actually 20 something single guy that, that different girls at church were all interested in. And it was a bit overwhelming. Like you had people that were being a bit, bit weird. How do you not be weird? Okay, Don't be well, weird. Here was you know? the problem. That girl, those girls were writing me journal entries and handing Like those girls were going way beyond. We didn't have hardly any relationship and they were saying things like, I think I'm in love with you or right. they were just throwing it all out there. And to me, there's a bounce, like there's a pendulum. You can't be the girl that doesn't ever say anything or put herself in the conversation because totally. then I don't even know that you exist. Right. So it's initiate some type of connection or interaction. Yeah. So that, man, it feels fun. I, I say this, like most things in nature flirt. If you really pay attention to it, like go watch Discovery Channel birds there, there is a very much like nature was designed to attract, to show like 
That's why the males often are more colorful birds. They are like trying to win the attention of the female. Totally. Nature knows you have to put yourself out there at some level, but you don't have to sell your soul. So to me, it was those (laughs) girls were like selling their soul, like throwing it all in. I didn't even know them. So to me, it's like establish some type of connection first with that guy. If, if you're in a group of 30-something girls, 30-something-year-old girls, and there's that guy in there that's cute, establish some sort of connection with him. That's my first, yeah. that is my first goal. It could be a connection about where you grew up. It could be a connection about something fun that you guys like to do together. And then be intentional, be cool and be intentional and invite him to something fun. That's like so low barrier, but it, it lets him know that, you are interested in having fun with him and hanging out. And if you have fun that time, then you can just continue down that pathway. Eventually you're going to have to see if he's going to step up as a man and want to pursue you. You can't do all the pursuing, right? But it is really helpful to start that small connection and then build upon that. So I do think that people make a mistake by trying to go all the way with no real connection. And then you just feel weird. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. So that leads into another really great question. Somebody wrote in asking, what is actually the difference in the role of a man versus a woman in dating or in romantic relationship? So I think, I believe that God designed relationships and for the man to be the one that emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually opens the door. And I do, I believe that that that's how God designed us to work. And there's lots of different reasons around that. But for instance, it's ideal that I'm the one that puts myself out there as a man and says, Hey, I would love to invite you out to dinner. Not only is that the cultural norm, but I do think that men typically handle rejection much easier than a woman handles rejection. Um, We're more wired to take that kind of risk than a woman is. In the same way that I feel like a man, well, I know a man is the one that's physically supposed to put himself out there first in the sense of uh, I'm going to open the door for you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what? I'm using my strength to benefit you. I'm showing you that I am a protector. I'm showing you that, that I am capable of caring for you as a person who is very much going to need to be cared for in the future. If we have someone break into the home, I'm going to be the one that handles that first, not you. Um, and so I am a, I am a protector. I'm a provider. I'm a promoter in the relationship. And so the role to me is it's so backwards. Even look at statistically when a man gets saved, if he, if a man's married and he gets saved, it's like 80 something percent of the time, the whole entire family gets saved. If a woman gets saved, it's only like 40% of the time does a whole entire family get saved. Huh, there interesting. Is, yeah. The man is very much built to be a leader in the sense of helping to really set pace and direction. And we're just wired to take more blows emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. We're just designed like that. And so I do think that it's ideal for the man to be the one who is setting the pace on where the real, how fast the relationship's going and not, not by saying, 
I want it to go this fast or this slow by asking questions to find out what's healthy for both of you, if that makes sense. And so like when we were dating, I asked you, I said, hey, listen, I would like to hold your hand. That's where I'm at. I'm just curious where you're at. Because here's, here's the thing, the woman's always asking, am I worthy to be pursued? So that's one question. But women are always looking uh, for safety. That's like a massive need that a, woman's have, a woman has. Can I trust you? Am I safe with you? And like a, a guy doesn't have to have a ton of safety in a relationship in order to want to be sexually uh, intimate. A woman, massive. And I know I'm using big generals, but it's true, generalizations, but it's true. Like in a relationship, if your wife feels safe with you, everything else works. And men don't typically operate the exact same. Now, there's going to be someone that comes on that says, well, men need safety too. Yeah, 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 they do. But women naturally are wondering, am I protected? Am I going to be okay? It's not the primary question that a man's asking. No, it's one of the primary questions that a woman's asking. Yeah. Is, am I going to be taken care of? Am I safe? Am I okay? And so... When a man starts to lead the relationship and he's opening up those doors emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, by going ahead and by being intentional, it naturally helps the woman to answer that question like, ooh, I am safe. I am protected. I am. And when leading a relationship like that, it's so much more helpful. I would say too that along these lines, I think that um, listening to our episodes that are on dating, those would be really good, more in-depth conversations about this subject, because I think one of the things that would be important is to note, for example, you know, we would say that, yeah, ideally a man's responsibility or role inside of a a romantic relationship is going to be like you've said, babe, to open the door emotionally, spiritually, physically lead the way. Yeah. But what that doesn't mean is that a woman comes with no grid for her own self, her own needs, her own desires. You're not just at the whim of whatever the guy wants or wants to do or doesn't want to do. I think ideally what's going to happen is a woman is going to find a man to be in a relationship with who is confident enough and strong enough to lead in a way that invites her to be fully her. Here's the other thing that we really have to remember is what a man is looking for. The The greatest need of a man in a relationship is respect. He wants to feel respected. And a, a man will not feel respected if the woman is leading the relationship, if she's the one that is setting the pace and the tone. If she And so, so mm-hmm. many guys don't don't feel powerful in their marriage. They don't feel powerful in their relationships. They don't actually respect themselves. And it's because they have left, and we've, we've gone on so many rants about this, but they have let the wife dictate, uh, Hey, you know, would you connect with the kids or would you go to, you know, come to church with me? Or, um, I really want to feel emotionally safe with you. Like the wife is setting, is setting the pace instead of the man going like, Hey, I'm creating this place where we can emotionally connect. Hey, this is what we do. This is what it means to be a valentin. That we we go to church. We have core values. We live with an ethos, and you know. And then it's like I'm leading my family. Well, I feel proud about what I'm doing. And the woman naturally wants a 
She wants a leader. She wants a partner to partner with that. And so, man, when you flip those roles around, the man doesn't feel respected because he's the woman doesn't respect him and she feels unsafe. Yeah. And that flips a relationship on its head and it ends in disaster every time. That is a really common experience in marriage though. I mean, what you the what you just described, there are so many marriages even that I know where those are the those are the roles that they've fallen into. And I think you can trace it back to in dating relationships. Oftentimes I think women so uh, badly want to be in a relationship. Yeah. And young women in particular, and this is, you know, this is social science, is that women tend to emotionally mature at a quicker rate than men. So I think often women, young women, it can be easy to find yourself in a dating relationship with a guy. As if, you, if you're young and you're in a dating relationship, it's also a very common experience for a woman to find herself in a relationship with somebody who is, um, well, I'll use my own life as an example. I felt like when I was young, I dated men who needed my strength. Well, can I say something to that? Can I yeah. add something to that? A lot of women feel insecure and out of control in a relationship. And so what they do is they take over being the leader yeah, as a way of feeling safe and feeling in control. And so it, again, it's flipped, right? It's like, yeah. I feel really out of control and I don't feel safe. So I'm over clarifying. I'm taking his role. I'm, or I'm even, doing all these things. I'm the initiator. Yeah. Or even, I just remember myself as a young woman, in a few different dating relationships that ended honestly because the guy didn't want to be in the relationship anymore. And when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, geez Louise, I wouldn't have wanted to be in a relationship with me either. I'm over there mothering the heck out of the situation. You know, I'm looking for um, stability. I'm looking for a commitment. I'm looking for security. So I'm looking to, how do I make this guy's life awesome? I wanna come in and clean his room and you know, plan a meal and just all the things that I think I would have naturally done to be nurturing in a situation. But when you're in a dating relationship, if you want to set yourself up for success in marriage, in a dating relationship, find your lane and figure out, I think, what's my responsibility as a whole, healthy, thriving individual that loves life in my own lane and then find somebody who knows how to be a whole healthy thriving individual in his own lane and figure out in a dating realm you know let's not become over responsible for one another in an attempt to get our own needs met exactly. right and so i think that that's something you have to be careful of women especially because i do think that we are so wired to find security, stability, a commitment. We want to actually give our heart to someone. We want someone to pursue us and choose us. We want to be chosen. Yep. And so I think in that desire, we have to be careful the roles that we slip into because what that looks like in marriage is really painful and really toxic and both parties start building tons of resentment towards one another because 
the lanes are crossing and it's unclear and actually none of our needs are getting met. You know, we really are looking to meet our needs, but none of them get met unless two really powerful owners of individual lives come together ready to serve each other. Yeah. Anyways, there was a lot more we could say on that. Okay. I've got a question for you. Um, As Jay's wife, how do you handle being with somebody that's so sexy and just good looking all the time. Oh my god! No, I'm just kidding. As Jay's <laughs> wife, wish. yeah. How do you reconcile with Jay innately having an excited feeling when he sees scantily clad women? And how how does that not affect you as his wife? How do you not get triggered? Okay, so this question came after we did an episode on sex and marriage. And this is a really great question. So in our a previous episode, Jason unpacked the um, just the the very human nature characteristics of a man and what a sex drive is for a man, how it works. Um, that he unpacked a lot about the idea that, um, a lot of men have tons of shame in their sex drive. In 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 having a sex drive, men have a lot of shame. Um, and he described a situation where, you know, he could see a woman walk down the street and his eyes see this woman walking down the street and instantly the emotional response that is a very human nature response is that feeling of excitement. And then in that moment, his choice is then to actually go, Oop, I'm at, I'm not actually going to look there because that's not for me. Yeah. I had one of my guy friends uh, ask me on a call. I was doing a call with a bunch of, bunch of guys that I disciple. He said, Hey Jay, if you were, cause I was explaining so many men fear their sex drive. Right. And feel a lot of shame. Like fear their sex drive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we need to control and manage it. And I, and I'm not the one that designed my sex drive. I'm not the one that, that asked for it. Yeah. And so a lot of guys have a lot of shame over, you know, feeling pulled towards somebody. So he asked me, Hey, if you, if you see a woman who's wearing almost nothing, you're at the beach, what do you feel? <laughs> what do you think? And I said, I feel excited. And then I say to myself, that's not mine. Right. And I go back to whatever I was doing. And and that's just life. So that's so maybe where this explain. Okay. From. So when you say that's not mine, because I realize the question is actually for me. So I want to get to that, the real question. But when you say that's not mine, what do you mean? It's not mine. Uh, and the same way that when I, when I see somebody who's a multimillionaire and they have all kinds of things. I can sit there all day long and covet their things, right? I can go like, oh man, I wish I had that thing. And oh, I wish I had that. I could be envious. Or I could go like, no, that's not actually all this stuff right here. That's not my stuff. Like I, I have a target in life. It's my bank account. It's my wife. It's my kids. And I'm not going to look at anybody else's life and wish that I was in their life. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to manage my appetite, right? Yeah. Proverbs says, when you sit down with a king, put a knife to your, uh, put a knife to your throat. And it talks about not, not coveting all the delicacies and, and everything else. So I literally think about that stuff when I, 
when I go to the beach with you and we've done it on our honeymoon, I believe, uh, or one of the times when we we're in Hawaii, I remember going to the beach and we were out on the beach and I remember looking at you and just saying, Hey, just want to let you know where I'm at. I'm, I'm working today. This is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be here today for whatever reason, because I have a sex drive and there's a whole bunch of people wearing a whole bunch of things that I don't see all day. And so my drive, my pull is to see that is to, I get it. I get excited when I see bikinis and bathing suits. That's why Budweiser uses those ads. That's why is because it's an attractant, right? Well, that doesn't make me evil, right? That doesn't even make me bad. It doesn't even make me a toxic guy because I get excited when I see that stuff. It makes me human. Now, what decides whether I'm healthy or not healthy? Whether I go and I chase that desire. So when I say that's not mine, I'm literally saying you are mine. This is where I point all of my desire. Yeah. All of my desire, all of my sexual fulfillment for the rest of my life will come from you. And I'm reminding myself that constantly. I remember going on a bike ride with you um, and we were talking about our sex life intimacy. And I was just saying like, hey, all, I want you to know, I want you to know, and I want you to remember, you're the only woman that I will ever pursue, that I'm ever allowed to pursue, that I can point all of my energy, all of my effort, all my sex, sexual drive, you're the woman that I pointed at. And so when I say that's not mine, I have a place to point my sex drive. I have a, point, a place to point my passion, my best ideas. It's you. Yeah. And so it's a reminder to me to do that. Yeah. So, you know, for women, I think this, the person that wrote in, she's saying like, how do you not get triggered when Jason says that a woman walking down the street wearing next to nothing would elicit like an excited response? And it's really interesting because I, sometimes I wonder like, why doesn't that bother me? But, <laughs> but I know, so here's the thing is I actually feel completely convinced that it isn't a, it is not um, good, bad, right, or wrong that Jason, that that woman walking down the street would elicit an excited response. I am completely convinced that that is a human nature thing to do because I can recognize beauty. I can recognize a handsome man. I, you know, he's not the only person that could look out the car window and find somebody that looks attractive. I see guys that I think are attractive all the time. And my sex drive isn't such that I'm even really tempted to think about it much past, wow, he's really handsome. What single girlfriend do I have that I could set him up with? Like, hello, help a sister out. I, I can recognize that myself. And so... I really don't feel triggered knowing when we go to the beach, I don't spend any time feeling insecure that Jason would find somebody else more attractive than me. And it's not because I don't think there are more attractive women. I mean, listen, I've had three babies. I think I gained 70 pounds the last time, 70 or 80 pounds the last time I was pregnant. <laughs> Like yeah. I'm not under any kind of illusion that there's not some 25 year old bopping down the beach that has a rocking bod that doesn't compare, you know, like there's, that's not even, that's not even a, that's not even what this is about for me. 
I think what is true for my, in my marriage is I'm so convinced that Jason knows how to and chooses to aim all of his affection at me that I, it doesn't matter to me if a 25 year old rocks down the beach. That's not even something that he wants his, his recognition of something exciting or something attractive doesn't indicate what he's going to pursue or what he actually wants. And I know that what he wants is connection with me and connection with me is, goes way beyond sexuality. It goes way beyond. It's all encompassing. It's emotion. It's about our family. It's about our kids. It's about our emotional connection. It's about our dreams. It's about the future that we're building together. It is about our sex life. It's all of it. And I think as women, you know, we have to do the work on our end to actually have enough of a a self-worth, our self-worth, our sense of self has to be intact enough that when another woman walks down the road, we don't view her as competition. There is no competition for his love for me. There's none. And, you know, he has had to do the work to actually solidify what he needs to solidify to make sure that that is true on his end. But on my end, my responsibility is actually to secure my sense of worth and value and not view other women as competition. I think that's a real struggle for a lot of women. Yeah, and if you do that, then it creates a bunch of suspicion in you, right? And it puts a ton of burden on the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, ultimately you'd be trying to get me to make you feel better when only you can make you feel better. Right. So, yeah. And and I think just accepting the reality that any human being can recognize attractiveness or beauty in another human being, that in and of itself is not wrong. Do you know what I think has been really helpful for me as a man? Huh. Is demystifying being with another woman. And let me, like, before you go, oh my gosh, let me just like walk this thought all the way out. Because I've worked a lot of people through affairs. And one of the, one of the myths inside of an affair is that this other person that I'm with, that, I, that I'm starting to, whatever, if it starts, if it's, if they're just in the emotional part or if they're in the, in the actual sexual slash emotional part is this idea that man being with this other woman is going to solve my problems or being with this other man is going to be like, we're just, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be magical. And statistically that's not true. So statistically second marriages and marriages that come out of infidelity don't last Right, because there's all these myths around it. When you aren't waking up next to the person every single day, when you're not picking up after their lazy self that morning, when you're not dealing with their insecurities and all you're doing is I just encounter this 25 year old bopping down the beach. My, my brain wants to tell me, Oh, that's what it would be like all the time. Right. It's not real life. Be this, amazing life on the beach, but nobody's life is amazing life on the beach. Yeah. And that's not even what makes an incredible marriage. And so for men and for women, but when I'm talking to men, 
it's really helpful to go like, hey, you got to demystify that trash because it's not even real. No. That's not reality. Nobody has that relationship. No marriage that we know is that relationship. I've no. never met that relationship before where regardless of how much money they have. Where everything's fun, everything's intimate, everything's, happen. no, that's not real it's life. It's not real. And so when you get back into what is real, what really creates a beautiful, healthy marriage, man, it's this woman that I got right in front of me. It's this life that I have right here. How do I pour my effort and energy and demystify all these other things, especially if I'm hurting, especially if we're a little bit disconnected, especially if I'm frustrated, especially if I've worked a long time, going back to like, no, all those other things are lies. Those are lies. The yeah. real true thing is pouring into my marriage right here, yeah. getting connection right here. That's the best thing in the long We run. were sitting with somebody not that long ago and um, they were just in a, in a little bit of a tough spot. You know, some days are tough, some weeks are tough. Yes, ma'am. And they said, gosh, my marriage is just so hard. And you said, well, marriage is actually just two people doing life together. So if your marriage is hard, you're hard or she's hard or you're both hard to be with. So what, what is hard for it? What is hard for you about it? What is yours? Because the, I think at the end of the day, we have to realize that whatever relationship you're in, whatever marriage you're in is just two people trying to walk out covenant together. And so if it's hard, what are you going to do? Yeah. I just think that's really empowering. It's a, it's a helpful, sobering reminder. Like, the grass really isn't greener. You're not going to find, yeah, like you said, you got to demystify it. Yep. Okay. Um, I, we had, this is, I think we can just give a short answer to this, but I do think that it's helpful. So somebody wrote in and said, um, I broke off my engagement last summer. Ooh, I was going to do that one for really? you too. Yeah, we're on the I same I broke page. off my engagement last summer and I'm dating again now. I feel really ready and whole and I'm healed up. I'm enjoying dating. How do I help my parents though, who are still traumatized from last time? And I just think that's a great question. Such a great question. Super practically, what would you, what would you tell her, this person? Yeah, so, okay, it really depends on what happened and why did the engagement break off? And so the trauma is around something. Her parents are afraid of something. And it's probably, you know, maybe the guy was abusive or maybe, I, I don't know, but she has something specific yeah. that their parents are innately afraid of because of the relationship. So that would need to be addressed. I think you can, if your parents are cool people and not controlling and loving, then it would be just a great conversation to say like, hey, what's your actual fear? What is the, what is the fear? Now, there's going to be irrational fears inside of there, but what is it that you'd like me to hear? and like me to know. And that may be, gosh, he was such a horrible guy and we thought he was awesome for a really long time. And it's like, cool, well, the, that potential's there forever. That is, but here's what I can do, right? Is as I'm dating, like I, where I'm gonna go, I'm gonna date in a healthy way. So I'm, I've worked through the pain. I feel like I'm at a spot where I don't have to have somebody, I wanna have somebody. And, you know, we're going to, I'm going to go through a normal process of, of, you know, pacing the relationship healthy, like healthy. But I th also think, again, if your parents are cool, then 
guys, we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to talk through this as I date guys. And as I go through this, this relationship of being able to have conversations about where we're at and do you like him? And so, I mean, to me, the, the, I think a lot of the trauma gets addressed or pain or fear. We just call it fear. A lot of the fear gets addressed when they know that they have a place to speak in your life. If they don't have a place to speak in your life, then, you know, it's not really your responsibility to address all of their fears anyways. So that's some of my thoughts. It's great. Okay. Can I ask the next one? Yeah. Okay. So, um, a mom of four wrote in and said, how do you maintain intimacy and connection in marriage between having kids, homeschooling, having a, tra- a husband that travels some and has a full-time job? You know, how in the world do you maintain good connection? Okay. You start with that one. Okay. Then. So I have been thinking about this a lot lately because Jason and I had um, three children that we've raised uh, from his first marriage and they're all now out of the house, which is, gosh, I can't even believe that. The youngest was five when we started dating and he's uh, almost 19 and has graduated high school. So anyways, then we've got these two toddlers. We've got these, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and So I'm asking myself a lot of questions because honestly, the world around us has even changed since we raised kids the first time. It's wild how different culture is, the things that we're dealing with as parents, the things that kids are dealing with, what's happening in schools, media, all of it. And I feel like we need a strategy from heaven, honestly, of like, how are we going to raise these little kids? So I've been thinking a lot about this. And one of the things that you know, as I think as Christians in particular, we have, we live with a huge sense of mission. So for a mom of four that's homeschooling her kids, has a husband who's in ministry, travels and works full time. You get up every day. If you feel a sense of mission, like that is a lot, that's a hard job. That is a hard gig. I think we have to be careful that even in living with such a sense of mission, that we, we realize nothing works if my marriage isn't thriving and connected. Nothing works if my kids don't feel connected mm. to me and my husband. So I think we have to be really careful when it feels like the cart starts to get before the horse, as in if our, if our marriage connection isn't the number one priority, we've got to push pause and reevaluate entirely because you can run for a while on whatever you have in the bank, like whatever gas is in the tank, you can probably run on it for a while. So maybe you've got like a year in you of really intense ministry calendar and work schedules and homeschooling the kids. But I promise you there will be a point of burnout that comes and you're going to be out of gas and you won't actually know what to do because it feels like everything is happening around you and to you. And there's so much momentum. You don't know how to stop the ball. And so my encouragement to anybody in this situation would be to do what you can to like push pause, take a sabbatical, schedule a vacation where you and your husband can actually slow down and evaluate everything and and ask yourself some of the hard questions. Is our marriage connection the actual number one goal? Aside, of course, from our relationship with God, like, are we protecting our marriage connection above everything else? If the answer is no, like if soccer is in the way, if ministry is in the way, 
if you know that new promotion is in the way, if there's things that you feel like we can't actually keep up this pace and have a great marriage, well, then that's your indicator. You know something has to go. So I love that. To me, connection is a skill set. And I think when people start to look at it like that, uh, that oftentimes the difference between really connected marriages and people who aren't really connected is really connected marriages. They have a strategy, a plan, and they're executing that plan. Yes. It's not something that's just randomly happening. No. Or they just like each other so much that they connect. It's actually a skill set. So I'm discipling um, 10 guys right now. And I've been with him for 12 weeks. And right now, all of the guys have reminders in their phone to turn towards their wives and to let them know what they're thinking, feeling, seeing every day. Something that they admire about their wife. They are building a skill set. They're learning how to turn towards or learning how to up the fondness. And here's the idea is that we all have an emotional bank account in the relationships that we're in. And I can up that emotional bank account just by adding money into that, just by adding, uh, just by telling you throughout the day what I think about you, the good things and and what you do for our family and recognizing uh, how vital and important you are. And to me, it's, yeah, anybody can take their family on a vacation and have a weekend of connection and that, but you can't live vacation to vacation it doesn't work in marriages that do that. They fail, you know, guys that, that, or girls, men or women who don't actually day in and day out, turn towards their spouse and offer gratitude, offer can, uh, just nurture and, and, and kindness. I mean that you just have to do that in order to build the emotional bank account. So to me, I would say one of the easiest ways to build connection is set an alarm on your phone for a couple times a day that goes off that reminds you to send a text, write a note, um, respond in a way that's kind and loving like that stuff goes, it goes so far. And I know that that's something you and I've been working on even more recently. We've upped that. And it just, it makes me feel so good when you write me and I'm in the middle of my work day and you say, Hey, I just was in the middle of my day putting the kids down for a nap. And I just wanted to tell you, I'm so thankful for whatever. It's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I want to clarify, you know, if you're in that boat where you feel like your world is running a million miles around you and your connection with your spouse is actually suffering, when I say pause, take a sabbatical to evaluate, I don't mean live vacation to vacation. I mean, you're going to have to take a hard pause and actually take time to evaluate and strategize what you're going to do. I want to say this, that it is not impossible to have incredible connection and have a really full plate with a load of momentum. The difference is the couples who can have incredibly strong connection while tons of momentum is happening are couples that have, like Jason said, put in the time to hone the skills. And so if you haven't yet learned or honed the skills, if you don't feel like you have great tools for connection in marriage, then you're going to need more time in your schedule because it's going to take an incredible amount of intentionality to learn the skills. As you get better and better and better at building strong connection, using great tools for connection and growing in your ability to maintain connection, 
the cool thing is it's like capacity. Your capacity grows as you have a healthier, stronger foundation. So it's not like you're never going to be able to sign your kid up for soccer again because you're never going to have the emotional bandwidth for it ever again. (laughs) It just means that, you know what, we probably shouldn't sign the kids up this fall because we need to take something off of our plate for a season in order to build time into our schedule to practice the art of connection. Yeah, that's great. All right, we got to stop here for today because we're out of time, but maybe we'll do this again. We still have a list of questions that we could keep going with forever and ever. And honestly, each one of these could be a whole um, episode topic in and of itself. But for today, thanks for listening, you guys. As always, if you're enjoying this, please like this, subscribe to our podcast. It comes out every Wednesday morning. Uh, We'd love it if you'd share it with people that you think might find it helpful or interesting as well. And then of course, rate us on whatever platform you use. We so appreciate you, our listeners, and we will see you next week. That's it for today with Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valentines.